Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, February 19th, 2023. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Hebrews, tap- <coughs> Hebrews chapter 11, be in uh, verses 17 to 19, though we will be going back to uh, Genesis 22 for our story. But the, uh, again, we're in chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's all about faith and the examples of faith, the hall of faith. <clears throat> and uh, today, again, we'll be thinking about Abraham, the faith of Abraham displayed in the test or the trial in the offering up of Isaac. And so that's where we'll be today. So let me read verses 17 to 19, then I'll pray, then we'll get started. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested or tried, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Even as we sung and prayed to you in our song that you would speak to us Father, and even in the last verse of that song, that we might live and walk by faith. So I pray that your words today to us would help us to see Christ, that he would be more beautiful to us in this picture of Isaac at the end here, as we will see today. Pray that he would increase, that we would decrease. Father, in spite of me, I pray that you would work. Father, we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we come to another example in the life of Abraham, highlighting his faith. Faith in God and his promises. And the reason, I always recall us to help us to remember this, the reason for this example in this letter to the Hebrews, those Hebrew Christians of that day, is that those Christians in that day may see, and that we today may see the example of Abraham, And then we do the same. We live and we walk by faith as difficulties come our way and that we would continue to love, to trust, to worship. And this is for all of us. And so we need these words today as we live in this world. Um, Satan still shoots his arrows at us and we still struggle with our own sin, all of us do. We still live in this world with our families as we make decisions in our workplaces. Young people in your schools, you're, you're commanded to walk by faith in the same way. And so we need this text today. So I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do something just a little bit different than I normally do today. There will be two parts to the sermon. First part, pretty much going to be retelling the story and then lots of application. And I can tell you, that'll be 80% of the sermon today. So that'll be the first part. Look at the story, apply this story to us. Then second part, we'll move to how that story pictures the gospel for us. And so first part of the sermon here, let's think about the story of the offering of Isaac. So in speaking of Abraham's faith, our author here in Hebrews recalls the story found in Genesis 22. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Genesis 22. And that's where we get the full story of this test with, with Abraham. So we read there, chapter 22, verse 1. 
after these things, so remember after what things, okay? We'll get back to that in a minute. But after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, God said to him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah, it's Mount Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. And so they were traveling there apparently for three days. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. That was the place that God had told him to go. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Through all of this, Abraham is, he knows that he is worshiping God. And he will do no matter, no matter what, he, his goal was to worship God. And he says, I will go there and I will worship. And then I will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on, his, on Isaac, his son. You see no hesitation, no struggling there in the text. And he took his hand, he took in his hand the fire and the knife because it, the sacrifice, he wasn't only to, to slay his son, but then he was to burn him up. It was a burnt offering. So he took the fire and the knife, and they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I can, I can hardly read this without great emotions, even thinking about the the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father laying down, giving His Son for us. But Abraham said, God will provide for Himself the Lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. And we know the rest of the story, God will provide there another in the place of Isaac. He will provide a ram. But Hebrews 11 doesn't speak to that particular part. And so we'll stick with that section of the story. Out of all the examples, though, in the life of Abraham, none compare to this one. None are more noteworthy, noteworthy in the Scriptures than offering up his son. In fact, we don't see another example like this in the Bible except for the offering up of the Lord Jesus in Isaiah 53, 10. It pleased the father to crush the son. And we'll get to this picture later. But the emphasis here for us is the faith of Abraham and how he obeyed, how he persevered in the midst of all of life's trials, temptations, persecutions, and, head, and, and, and all the, the hardships. And all of us have those today as we listen to these words and we consider Abraham. And so before we apply this to our lives today, let me begin by addressing an obvious difficulty. How could Abraham offer up his son by faith, seeing that this was both against the law of nature and against the law of God for a man to kill his son there in this offering. Have you ever thought that? Kristen and I had this conversation this week or last week. We've all had this conversation, I think, when we come to this story. And it is very difficult. And in this regard, one might say, well, there you go. If you're thinking from another standpoint, not from faith. But you might say, there you go. God is tempting Abraham to do something that is evil. 
we might, someone might be tempted to say that. And so how do we answer this? And, and you know, I don't, I don't think we'll get down to all the reasons as to the whys behind which we cannot get to. But I would say first that as creatures, we are bound by God's laws. However, God himself, now, God cannot go against his nature in that way, but God is not bound by the laws that he gives to us in the same way that we are. He is not. He is holy, and he cannot act outside of his nature. He cannot tempt us to do evil. Well, we know this to be true because James tells us, the book of James, let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we can throw that out with Abraham and Isaac. This is not a temptation for him to do evil. But God is the author of life. He can give and he can take as he desires. And even if we think about Isaac, Isaac himself was a was a sinner, a son of Adam, down through the years, by nature a sinful man as well. But God has every right to give and to take life. And in the case of Abraham, to command him even to take the life of Isaac. He is the absolute sovereign one and can do as he pleases. Always, God can do that. Now, I do not believe that we will ever see such a command again, nor do we find any example, except maybe with, God says, do not follow after idols. But what does he tell Moses? Lift up, make a serpent. Lift up the serpent. Uh, that might be the, another example of this kind of thing where God is not placing himself or he is above his own laws, but God can do as he pleases. And even as John Owen I read a lot this week, says he can change the nature of the act and make it lawful, even a duty. Because Abraham, he knew without shadow of doubt that God had told him to do this. He, he knew it. And he knew that not to follow this command would have been what? Disobedience. God gives you the command, you are to do it. And the only, I think, this truth can be accepted, is, the only way we can accept it is a little bit of reason, lots of faith. And this, this example with Isaac ranks as one of the most glorious truths in all the Bible. And it has lots of implications and applications for us as a church. And so that's one question. Another question we might ask, since God does not allow Abraham to carry through with the offering, how then can the writer of Hebrews then say, by faith when he was tested, Abraham offered up Isaac? Well, this is pretty simple, much easier to answer than the first question that I just asked. This means that by faith, in obedience, Abraham completely accepted God's command in his heart. And he was fully dedicated. He did not hesitate. His heart, his soul, his mind, his strength, Everything that, that, that was within him, he was going to obey. No matter how hard this command was. And this is our example of faith. So let me say quickly that none of us can wholly obey God. W-H-O-L-L-Y, not H-O-L-Y. But completely because we are sinful by nature. But, like Abraham, our desire is to do what? To obey him when? With every command that he has given us. And that is our desire, for sure. <laughs> and we must know that when we sin, we have an advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we go to who has taken our sin upon his back on the cross. And we'll get that towards the end. But now let's go back to the story. Notice from, or for a few minutes here, and we're going to just think about the story and then apply that to our lives today. Notice when this, this test or this trial comes to Abraham. I think the best translation there is trial or 
test. I think that's more literal, to try him. But Genesis 22.1 says, the trial came after these things. Well, what happened, after, what, what happened before this test in Abraham's life? Well, we've already seen there are great acts of obedience in the life of Abraham that are very difficult with all the many tests of faith. He had just left, well, not just left. This has been many years since then. But he left his home of Ur, Chaldea, moved to Canaan. He lived in tents as a foreigner and as a stranger there amongst these Canaanites. He had many years of waiting, travels here and there, a lot of issues with a lot of things that went on with other kings, with his wife, with Egypt. There's just a lot of things that happened, a lot of ways that he was tested, and he prevails in all of these things. There were family squabbles with Lot. And now, out of, after all of these tests, he comes to this one, the greatest test of all. The application for us is that God grows you. If you are a Christian, you have faith. God grows us little by little. And, and we, we might call this the process of sanctification. Little by little. And usually the more we grow in our faith, and as we trust God year after year in obedience to the commands of Christ, often the tests, the trials become more difficult, don't they? They get harder the older we become. If you've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, I don't know, 60 years, and as your faith in God has increased through those years, maybe your hardest tests and your hardest tests are yet to come. They are to come in the future. But God will prove you if you are His, as He did with Abraham. And when these tests come your way, whatever they are, you will shine by faith. Now, what do you, what do you think about that? I'm sitting here saying that your hardest tests, all, in all probability, are yet to come. And so I, I don't think that we, any of us would ever say, come on now, God, bring on. Do you ever say that? God, bring on the test. Bring on the trial. I, I don't say that. But at the same time, by faith, what do we say? Your will be done. And so when we approach trials and tests, we know that as Christians, Nothing's going to escape God. He's not just allowing things to happen. He is sending trials and tests our way as a good father would do to discipline us and to shape us and to make us more godly and to prove us and to prove him that we are going, whatever we're going through, we will trust him. Another application from after these things is that often trials come at times of great peace. With Abraham, and Ishmael had already been sent away, and God said, I'm going to protect Ishmael, and I will make him into a great nation. So Abraham's like, okay, there's my other son, <clears throat> not with Sarah, but the first one, and he, he's okay, and he's moving on. And then <laughs> we see lots of other things that took place there that in that particular time of his life that he was you know, I think at peace in many ways. Because who had come to him? Isaac, the son of the promise, had been born to him as well. In their old age, another great miracle. So I think at that particular time in, in Abraham's life, he was old. He was thinking, okay, it's time to just cruise on that. Now we've got Isaac. He's, I don't know how old Isaac was, a teenager probably, at some point when he was sacrificing him. But there he was, he's thinking, you know what? The seed's going to come through him. I'm getting old. Me and Sarah are going to die, but, you know, things are going to continue. Let's just wait and let Isaac have children, and they have children. And I think at that particular time of his life, he was kind of cruising a little bit, very much a time of peace. And then suddenly, the very end, I mean, not the end, but when he was older, God comes to him and says, 
go and offer up Isaac. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So this principle is also, also found, I think, with us. Oftentimes the test of life come when we are at the height of our health, or we have great stability, or we have great peace, and we have great joy. And at those times, as a thunder cloud comes down suddenly out of nowhere, so comes a great test from God. A trial to test your faith. Think about Job. <laughs> he was declared to be the most righteous man upon the earth. What happens? Boom. Next day, God delivers him over to the hand of Satan. Paul taken up into, the, into heaven itself with great visions, what peace and joy and how Paul must have felt at that time. And then right after that, we are told he is given a what? A thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him, that he prayed for God to take away, which God did not. And so oftentimes this is what we see in our lives when we are just you know Sunday's high is great Monday's okay and next thing you know boom next trial comes our way now none of us have been put to the same test as Abraham however for our good and for the good of God's glory he sends them our way and when they do come <clears throat> we must walk through them by faith so here's a question I have when do they, these trials come, and what do they look like in our lives? Well, I was helped quite a bit by a, an old Puritan by the name of Thomas Manton, and he gives a threefold answer to this question. Let me ask the question one more time so you stay with me. <clears throat> when do these trials come, and what do they look like okay, in our lives? So let's think through that for just a minute. Is God sending trials to you? at whatever time you're at in your life. Here's the first answer that he gives, what they look like and when they come. Tests come when we need to submit to the providence of God, particularly in the things that we love. So now, a better way to put this is, when God sees that you or I, as his child, are putting a treasure above him, he may send a trial that will test us that we will love him more than that treasure, whatever it is. If you think about Abraham and Isaac, Isaac, maybe, Abraham had, was idolizing Isaac. We don't, we, we don't know that, but Isaac was certainly his treasure, yet God says, Abraham going all for Isaac up to me. <laughs> so I ask the question, what do you treasure? What do I treasure? What do we treasure more than God? Do you have any idols in your life? What are our idols? Are you treasuring up something in your heart that you've placed above God? If so... And if you are his child, you might, I would say, that might be one of those things. If we could look through the eyes of faith and know that we are committing a sin, either a sin of commission or a sin of omission, that we might say by faith, God, please bring the trial that I might get rid of that which I am putting above you, that which we love. And I, I think this goes on throughout the life of the Christian. But that's, that's one way. Another way that trials, when they come and what they look like, is in the case of self-denial. What, what does Jesus say? If anyone comes after me, in other words, if you're going to be a Christian today, anytime, what does Jesus say? If you will come to me, do what? Let him, her, deny himself. Brothers and sisters, self-denial is essential to the faith. And 
not just be honest, we live in the, in the world of entertainment. And we live in a particular time in, in, in culture. But nothing's new under the sun. There's all, each culture and each people has their own sins and our, their own things that they're going through. But, you know, entertainment is a big one. I would say it's a big one for me. What do, could entertainment be one of those things that maybe we need to, that might be an idol? Whatever form of entertainment it might be. Um, that might be an idol, that we might not be denying ourselves. When God requires that we should forsake even our father or our mother, we must not object. We must say with the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, 24, when he was considering his upcoming trip to Jerusalem, he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. This, these, these are not just out there words, brothers and sisters. These are words to us that we must take very seriously. <clears throat> I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry, <coughs> and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So is this your desire? Are you showing self-denial in whatever? Another way that Manton points out is that tests come in the case of mortifying our bosom lusts. That's what he says. I'm going to give it to you a little bit easier. In other words, what do we love the most in this life? What do you love the most? Where do you spend your time? What do you listen to? What do you watch? What do you do in, the, in your free time, majority of your time, <clears throat> when you can do exactly what you want to do? The answers to these questions are very important for us. God may send a test requiring you to, <clears throat> excuse me, requiring you to cut off your right hand or pluck out your own eye, as drastic as that might be, that our souls may obtain eternal life. And that's what God has for us. That's what He desires for us. Now let me just say this. There's lot, <clears throat> these tests are, in this regard, by faith, I guess we should welcome them, right? If God is molding us as the potter molds the, uh, the clay, and God is doing that, these tests are really good for us and for God's glory. And I am very glad that, that we don't get to choose the tests. God chooses our tests. He knows exactly what we need. He is our Father. He disciplines as He sees fit. And you know what? At the same time, as a church, we need one another in this faith, in, this, in all the trials and tests that we go through. We go through these things together. Another application. We must expect and seek in advance to be prepared for severe trials. So here's your warning. I think we, we get that through the years. But we must know that trials are coming and we must expect trials. 1 Peter 4.13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I see people that say they're Christians all the time and just freak out over any little thing, much less a great test, such as we see here like with Abraham and Isaac or something that is bigger. But maybe it's because we don't know. We're not expecting them. But life is short and full of troubles, and we must expect trials. But he says here, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Another application. We are told to make our trials or to be, we're told to be joyful in our trials. James 1 verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And if we think about all the trials... These are mostly 
persecutions and martyrdom and things like that, but just the regular, regular normal things of life, whether it's a death of a spouse or a loved one or a friend or it's a sickness or it's anxiety or it's depression. We, we can throw all kinds of things in there. Now, to, to, to then gather what are the results of sin and what are the tests of God is another issue for another day. But still, all of these things come our way and we must know they are coming. And the Bible says, count it all joy. Another application. Trials vary in severity. In other words, some are very severe and some are not, at least in a manner of speaking as we think about them. But they are trials nonetheless. Now, what is the most difficult trial that you can think of? Well, oftentimes people would say, John, what is the hardest language to learn? And I always say, the one you're learning now. Trials are relative. So your difficult trial is the one you are in right now. Um, <laughs> and so some are very severe and some are not so severe, but they are nonetheless trials. Think about Abraham. He was commanded to slay, to kill, not just a bull or a goat, but his only son. And not just any son, the son of the promise. He wasn't commanded to send him away like Ishmael, but to kill him, to cut him off from the land of the living. He was commanded, Abraham was commanded to do something beyond reason. He was commanded to do something that was to him, I'm sure, repugnant and vile to natural feeling. I can't imagine what he was going through. And not only would he lose his son, he himself would be the, the executioner of his son. And as far as we know, Isaac is displayed as the most humble, obedient, compliant, loving son in all of this process. He wasn't rebellious. He wasn't prodigal. He just trusted his father. And so throughout the text, there is no hint of mistrust from, from Isaac to Abraham. So put yourself into that situation. Was ever such a demand upon a mere human creature in the history of the world? I would have to say no. And you know what? It gets worse. We must not forget that Abraham knew, he knew that Isaac was the promised child in whom all of the world, the reason we are sitting here today, he was the promised child. And he knew that. He knew that all the world will be blessed through him. But God says, go and and offer up your son. So from, from his perspective, think about it from, from, from Abraham's perspective. The very covenant that God made with him was in danger, humanly speaking. Because we knew, and if you think about to, back to God appearing to Abraham and giving him this covenant, through Isaac, the land of Canaan would be populated. It was through Isaac that all of the nations would be blessed. It was through Isaac that the promised seed, which we know that to be the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the promised seed would come from Genesis 3.15. Can you imagine at that point the, the arrows that Satan was shooting at Abraham? Satan coming to him at this great trial. And we often... We look back upon this time, don't we? And we read that story in the Old Testament and we go, oh, it don't make sense, don't make much sense to me, except it points to Christ. We do get that. But we often just say, ah, oh, great, great example of obedience. But when I start to put it in perspective like this, hopefully you can think in your mind, wow, what a test that must have been. I don't think we can imagine the heart and the mind and the soul of Abraham in this test. And you know what? At that particular time, he had a choice. Obey God or not obey God. I, a lot we could say there, but another Puritan again, Thomas Manton, says this. Herein lay the spiritual acuteness of this trial. 
Would he not in slaying Isaac be faithless to his trust? Would he not by his own act place the gravestone on all hope for fulfillment of such promises? The accomplishment of God's promises depended on Isaac. And God was telling him to go and kill Isaac. Slay him. Matthew Henry says this. Listen to this quote. Just grasp me. But he says this concerning Abraham. He seemed to be called to destroy and cut off his own family. To cancel the promises of God. To prevent the coming of Christ to destroy the whole truth, to sacrifice his own soul and his hope of salvation, to cut off the church of God with one blow, a most terrible trial. Have you ever had a trial like that? No, you have not. This is the, the, the biggest one we've ever known, I believe, in the Bible. If Isaac were lost then all would be lost. Can't imagine the dilemma in his mind alone, knowing that God had given the promise that through Isaac the nations would be blessed and then to go and to offer him up. Not only as just killing him, but then burning up his body. There's no more body, nothing. Yet, by faith, Abraham went forward to sacrifice his son. This makes our trials, I think, seem small. Now, every trial is a difficult trial. When someone, again, as I've said before, whatever trial you're in, that is the difficult one. But God gives them according to our faith. And in reference to sin, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You know this verse? 1 Corinthians 10, I think Greg quoted it to me recently. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, that's in reference to temptation to sin, I believe. But the principle is still the same. This means that today, brothers and sisters, no trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He sends trials, and since he sends them, we are told to count it all joy. We are told that blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, before we move on to the last part of the sermon today, I, I ran across a, a very interesting quote by John Owen on faith and trials. He says this about trials. Trials are the only touchstone of faith. Now, if you're like me, you probably didn't know what a touchstone is. Does anybody know? I'm just curious. Raise a hand. Do you know what a touchstone is? That, well, I'm going to try to explain it. Because he says that trials are the only touchstone of faith. Well, it goes back to a process where one would take a kind of stone that had some silicon in it, and then it would, this, they would take this stone, and then they would get the gold that they had just found, and they would scratch the gold. And depending on what color came up there, that touchstone would show if that gold or that silver or that precious metal was pure. And so that touchstone acted as something that tests it, whether something is pure or not. And, and so in the same kind of way, what Owen is saying here is that trials, tests, show if our faith is real. And Owen says here that trials are the only touchstone of faith. So in that regard... Do you have trials that are sent from God? Do you, can you by faith even welcome them that your faith might be tried? In other words, too, if trials are not coming your way, then how do you even know you have faith? And that's what he's saying here. In other words, trials are the only things that show if faith is real. 
Now, again, does this mean that we welcome them? Well, you can deal with that yourself in your own faith. But from one perspective, absolutely not. We're not saying bring them on, but God gives them for our good. I mean, I mean the Bible speaks about that. When I disciplined my children when they were smaller, do you think they liked it? Do you think they welcomed it? I didn't welcome it when my father disciplined me in all the ways that he did. Usually just one way, he just pulled his belt off. But do you think I welcomed it? I did not welcome it, but it was for my good. And as I look back, I go, thank you. Thank you, God. I think kids even today just need to be told, no, can't do that. It's the same thing here. Trials are the touchstone that show if we have faith or not. And when God moves to test us, uh, and I think in, from his perspective, it is glorious to him because you look, look at Job. L- look at Paul. Look at, put your name in there. There he's come. And I know what's going to happen. Their faith is going to shine. And so <clears throat> I could say a lot more about trials in here with Abraham and Isaac. In fact, there was 20 more things. But I'm going I'm to move on to the very end. But just... In transition, if, if you have no trials, how do you know there is faith at all? And so I would just, as a congregation and as a body, as we think about this text today, be just prayerfully thinking about such things and seek these things out in the Scripture and trust that when the difficulties come that God is the one sending and God is the one giving. And, God is, and through it all, as we look unto Christ, our faith will shine. So let me finish the, the last part of the sermon. This part's much more brief. Second part of the sermon is that this story pictures the gospel two ways. One in the cross, two in the resurrection. There's more as well, but I'm going to highlight those two. One in the cross, two in the resurrection. In this story, we have a beautiful picture of our heavenly Father sending the Son to die on the cross. Abraham, he offered up his son, or he was going to, the promised son, the miracle son, the one given to him and Sarah in their old age, the son of promise. Well, Abraham would have carried out the sacrifice. He would have killed his son on the altar, I believe, because we see in a moment that he he knew that he would raise him from the dead. But he would have done it. Well, God did the the same in sending the son in this world, to lay down his life as a sacrifice. But notice some differences. Abraham's son was just a a sinful man. Jesus was the sinless man, the son of God. Abraham offered Isaac as God told him to do that. Brothers and sisters, God is under no restraint or constraint. Nobody told God to do that. In fact, we do not deserve what we get in God sending the Son. None of us do. It is all mercy. God did this without constraint. And and we might even say the Son freely, that's similar to Isaac, but the Son freely came. But God, God gave Christ freely. Abraham's son, he did not suffer, did he? Ultimately, there was a ram provided there in the thicket, (laughs) caught there nearby that was sacrificed. But Isaiah 53, 10, one of my favorite verses says, it was the will of the Father to do what to the Son? To crush, to kill, to bruise the Son. And Christ suffered beyond what we can describe. He took all of the wrath and all of the punishment that our sins deserved upon himself. I cannot imagine. Just thinking about Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way. Brothers and sisters, that's us. 
born down through the line of Adam, naturally sinners. And that's us. We've all gone our own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And out of the anguish of His soul, He shall see and be satisfied. God was satisfied with the offering of the Son. It wasn't a a bull or a goat or a pigeon. It was His only begotten Son. Out of the anguish of His soul, He shall see and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and He shall bear their iniquities. Today, if you are a Christian, and by faith, you're trusting in the promises of God, particularly the, that all the promises are fulfilled in Christ, then all of your sins are forgiven. If you are not a Christian today, I would urge you to trust Christ. Because that is what God says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What a picture for us with the giving of Isaac there and then God providing the sacrifice, providing the the substitute. And so we see in this story the cross, God sending His Son. In fact, that is why He came. Jesus came to die. But the second thing we see in this story is the resurrection. Look at Hebrews 11, 19. He considered, this is Abraham, when he was going to sacrifice him, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In other words, he, he did, figuratively, he did receive him back. But Abraham knew, I believe, according to these words, by faith, because God had promised that the seed would come through Isaac, not Ishmael, not another one, that he would raise him from the dead. God, or Abraham knew that God would give, not give him another son. And if Abraham were to kill him, but not just kill him, not just kill him, but also burn up his body as God commanded, then his complete body would have been destroyed. There's a lot of implications there. But Abraham believed God would raise him from the dead. So Abraham believed in the immortality of the soul and the resurrection of the body. I mean, he had to, because what is the curse? God told to Adam, he said, from the dust you have come, and to the dust you will return. Well, in Christ, this curse is reversed, and we will rise again. And, And so Abraham believed this, and so few things here. First, it pictures the resurrection of Jesus. After three days in the grave, what did he do? He rose again. He was given a new body, one that was different from his body, but but enough alike so that they recognized him. He ate and he drank with them. Today, Jesus is alive. We, We are here today because Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered the grave. He did not stay there. And his resurrection is the first of many to come, like with Isaac, like with Abraham, like with anyone who has faith. Second, concerning the resurrection, the Bible says that those who have faith have also been made alive by the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, if you go read verses 1 to 13, I'll just summarize that. We have died with Christ. This is in reference to our sin. He has covered our sins. Our sins are dead. And then, and then by the Spirit, we live in Christ, in His resurrection. We are, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a new creation. We are raised with Him. This is why Paul prays for the Ephesians and for us. And I think we should pray this prayer. And I often pray this prayer for you. That we might know the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. So it pictures the resurrection of Jesus, pictures our resurrection, and finally, this story pictures a final resurrection. Resurrection of the body on the last day. 
couple verses. John 6, verse 39 and 40. Jesus says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we look forward to that last day when we also will be given a new body like Christ was. And not only us, but all of creation is groaning and waiting for the redemption of our bodies. It's huge is what is left for us. But, 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 but now, thinking back to all the trials of life, brothers and sisters, our faith looks to all of these promises as fulfilled in Christ. And so what a beautiful story for us to help us, I hope this has been helpful. Do you get one or two little things in application about, about faith and trials? What a beautiful story that we have. And what a beautiful story to teach us theology, particularly the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for the story for this history. Father, we don't just believe this is just any old story. This is the history of faith and how you worked in your people way back when and how now we sit here today because Isaac <laughs> did not die. He lived and he got married and he had children and his children had children all the way down until Mary and Joseph and the Lord Jesus was born from his line. So, Father, we look back upon Christ, but we also, we also look forward knowing that this is not, not all that is, that, that, that is said and done, Father. There's more to come. And so, Father, help us to see Christ. Help us to, to find Him more beautiful. And help us to, to live by faith, knowing that trials are coming our way. Father, we just give you this day. and We trust in you. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.